Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another round of the extra or episode of the extra it's round another podcast. Round. Another each, round. Each episode's a round, baby. This is round thirty-eight. <laughs> I want to say it's, it's a long fight. This is uh, round thirty-eight of the extra <laughs> rounds podcast. If we're going that way, uh, we're going to talk to a lot of things today. UFC, the Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather thing keeps picking up steam, and every between every episode, new stuff happens. So it's like a conversation that never dies. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Bellator. There's been some big. Um, things happening over there. And uh, then later in the show, we have a special guest joining us, Robin yep. Black, famed MMA analyst. He's known for his uh, video breakdowns, his catchphrases, his energy. And uh, he's doing his own thing with his own podcast and show. We'll talk to him a little bit about that. Also, we had Jose Shorty Torres into the studio yesterday for a, uh, another episode of the Extra Rounds podcast that's already uploaded to iTunes, but we also have... Uh, a video being uploaded to fan sided soon so be on the lookout for that or you can if you're impatient you can listen to it on itunes right now he's uh the titan fc flyweight champion at titan fc in 43 or 44 yeah. i don't remember the number in may 19th he's fighting for the bantamweight title he sat down talked to, for an hour he lives in chicago we're in chicago <laughs> so he was able to come in uh brought his title belt it was a great thing you know great we talked about his humble um upbringing on the south side of chicago we talked about uh, his journey, his career. This is a guy who travels around the world to train. You know, he goes to Jackson Wing. He trains at a combat doe in Cicero mm. uh, outside of Chicago. Then he goes to um, Team Elevation and trains with TJ Dillashaw. And he kind of broke down uh, how that works and the stigma that TJ has developed as a uh, fierce competitor when he's training with people. So we, uh, we talked about all those things, and you can catch them all on the podcast. Make sure to check it out. He's a great guy. He's a guy who got a bright future. He's 4-0, but most people know that he's an extensive uh, amateur fighter. He's 25-1, two world titles. The future is really bright for this guy. Yeah. He's not your average 4-0 fighter still trying to gain some experience. He, he knows what he's doing. And I just got, as you were talking, one of our listeners who's called in and left messages before, Valentino Ortiz III, had just put, post, sent a message, email saying, Good job, Mike. I guess you just listened to episode 37 with uh, Shorty Torres. It is a great episode. You guys got to check that out. It's if you're subscribed, you it's already uh, it's already in your uh, in your feed. If you haven't, you should do it. Good stuff like that gets popping all the time. Extra extra rounds, baby. Yeah. No, we just need more more fighters to come to Chicago and train here. You know, <laughs> maybe one day we'll uh, we'll do a Rufus Sport episode. Uh, oh, yeah, not too far fun. away. It'll be fun. So, anyways, uh, first things first. We wanted to talk about. Conor McGregor and yeah, Floyd Mayweather. And specifically the way Dana White is talking about that fight now, right? So Dana for a long time was just basically poo-pooing the possibility of it, saying Conor needs to talk to him, Floyd needs to talk to him. This fight goes through the UFC. Um, you know, he's still saying that. <laughs> but he's talking like a guy who already has the job of promoting that hypothetical boxing match. Now he's going on big talk shows and, and saying, ah, it's, I don't see how this could not happen. I think now he's, he's talking about, you know, how he sees the fight going down and promoting Conor McGregor and saying, you know, he, he could win this. So I don't know if that Mike means the fight is closer to happening or if it's data white's way of applying for the job of being some type of co-promoter of this, but it's a marked rhetorical shift uh, for Dana White not being completely opposed to this matchup now seeming to say it's inevitable and he's excited about it. Yeah. The, the, you know, there's a quote I think that came out of yesterday or the day before 
that it's no guarantee that Mayweather wins this fight. Right. Seth, was he on Conan when he said that? I forget. Uh, maybe. He, yeah, he was on Conan talking. Uh, you know, it was he's been in TMZ videos. Mm-hmm. There's another um, TMZ kind of style interview that's out on, but I don't think it was TMZ where they kind of caught him off guard. And mm-hmm. uh, he was gracious enough to ask answer some questions. Um, Which I don't know why anyone ever talks to TMZ. You must love attention if you, these assholes come up to you with a camera. I love uh, Connor. You know, there's the the connection between TMZ and the UFC, yeah. and uh, Connor didn't like the way that they had portrayed something or whatnot. And uh, we got Con- some we got some good gift wrapping going on in the yeah. studio right now. By the and <laughs> Connor, when he was leaving the Nate Diaz press conference, yeah. he uh, he had that little run in with right. him, and he that was one of my favorite moments. How is, how is that not everyone's interaction all the time with anyone connected to that um, scavenger uh, scavenging outlet of TMZ? Like, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's so predatory. It's, it's so gross. But when you're someone trying to build a name or establish something, yeah. like, there's a, there's a certain uh, audience to, I guess, take advantage of. Yeah. And then you better be ready for when they kick you when you're down, like, like Ronda Rousey, Ronda, you know, she, she was all about talking to them. And then afterwards when they're mocking her, you got to live with both sides of that coin. Uh, cause they're, they have, <laughs> they're, they're evil. <laughs> like they want to, they want to kiss your ass to, to take advantage of your audience. And then they want to, um, take advantage of that audience in reverse once you slip up and really make fun of you. It's it's a weird thing. And God forbid you actually become real famous, not just MMA famous. Then they're digging around all the all, all over the place. It's not to say they have they've they've accidentally served the public good a couple times, like with yeah. the Ray Rice video. Um, but um, but yeah, that's us. I didn't expect to get into my TMZ bashing thing. They don't really need my bashing them. Speaks for themselves, but man, I don't get why people talk to them. If I, re- I mean, unless you don't realize it's TMZ, because unless you know any of these tabloids, man, it's it's such a weird thing to sit down like People Magazine. Here's my here's my baby, and <laughs> like these are the same people that are like snooping through your window blinds. Like, what? How can you let them in your house? I mean, anyway, I'd be kind of stoked if TMZ was waiting outside my house for me. <laughs> you would the first It'd be like time. the sign that I made it. Yeah, I, and then and then then the thirtieth time. You're a little bit uh, annoyed, probably. But, you know, either way, Dana White's embracing it, and he's embracing the idea of this fight now. There's a Fox Sports report that comes out that's saying uh, McGregor's team is, um, you know, angling for uh, September. So mm. It's got to be May or September, right? The big Mexican holidays. you got to take advantage well, of Independence or Cinco de Mayo. Oh, May's yeah, May's not. That's why it makes sense in September. But, but that's why Floyd, be one was always, uh, Floyd was always – fighting may september yeah the mexican mexican american audience is, mm-hmm. is, is huge uh, i mean that and like over 60 year olds uh, are like the audience for boxing for predominantly uh, right now um so you need to, you need to do that around big events if you can and it looks like we're headed towards this being more of a boxing event than an mma event it seems like yeah i don't think there was any i, I never i know it was fun to discuss but there was nothing outside of dana white pontificating to ever indicate that this would ever be an mma event in any capacity, um, and and also it was you know he I think it was a disingenuous suggestion for him to say he would stack that card. Oh really? You're going to spend a few million dollars for no reason because you don't need an undercard to make that a huge event. He wouldn't do that. They're cutting costs everywhere. They're firing everyone, everyone and their secretary, and letting top five guys go. They're not going to stack a card that doesn't need stacking in order to make money. Uh, I think Dana White's kind of been. Like, once he realized that maybe he didn't have a, a winning case to stop McGregor from doing this, he's kind of been applying to have a piece of this in any any way, shape, or form. Because you're right. I mean, it's now it seems it's just even Dana White is only talking about it as a boxing event. 
he's the only one that was ever like kind of suggesting there could be anything else uh, attached with it. Well, that's your weekly check-in with Conor McGregor and Floyd. <laughs> yeah. More talk. Everything's ramping up. It looks like it's going to really happen. I just hope it doesn't happen on my honeymoon. <laughs> that's all I'm hoping for. You're um, a good chance of that. So anyways, uh, we, we've talked, uh, we said we were going to talk about Bellator. Bellator's been doing some big things. They've signed uh, some big names, Lorenz Larkin, uh, Ryan Bader, most yeah, notably. Um, two big names that kind of got away. Ryan Bader's a guy who was in the heavyweight title picture yeah. or light heavyweight title picture not so long ago um, and is not the typical or what was yeah. the typical um, aging fighter going to Bellator after kind of being sent to the farm by the UFC. This is a guy who chose to leave. Um, and it's interesting. I talked to some of the other fighters. I talked to Chase Gormley, Bellator fighter, mm-hmm. yesterday and uh, was talking to him about uh, the fighter's perception and what they think. And, you know, everybody kind of expected this to start happening when Scott Coker came on board, mm-hmm. everything that he did with Strike Force, that this, they, he could legitimize this and make this a contender. Um, and uh, they were saying that the sponsorship dollars, he thinks that the sponsorship dollars are just that valuable mm-hmm. to the fighters. And that's why <laughs> fighters are making that decision. Um, Very interesting. They can make less guaranteed and show money. Uh, but they can make more in sponsorships. Mm. And, you know, the numbers from Spike aren't necessarily horrible. Um, you know, a pay-per-view, if it gets like 500,000 buys is a small audience. If this is an event that gets, you know, a million, 1.5 million views in Spike for free, like... You can leverage that for sponsorships. Exactly. It's uh, more eyeballs. I know working in the digital media publishing thing, it's not always about page views. It's about users. It's about mm-hmm. sets of eyes. Mm-hmm. So um, that rings true. So... So what are your thoughts? Are you, are you surprised by this, or did you expect this? I, I am kind of surprised. Um, like you mentioned, Mike, it's, it, it's a departure from the way the UFC has done business um, with free agents in, in, a real, in a real significant way, the way they've done business with free agents for, for a long time, at least since like Zufa came in, Dana White and Fertitta Brothers, and Dana White's still around even after they sold it. Um, to WMEIMG, it's interesting because we would see, certainly we'd see older, 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 past their prime, big stars um, go elsewhere, right? And we've had Tito Ortiz go and, you know, Hoyce Gracie or Ken Shamrock or, uh, you know, we've seen that. Uh, But you'd also see things like Yushin Okami, who's still a top 10, top 5 guy, or John Fitch, top 10, top 5 guy, off of losses, get cut or not get renewed and, and go other places. Uh, you'd see that type of thing. You'd see even years before, you might see something like when Frank Trigg got let go. When Frank Trigg got let go, he was probably the number two welterweight in the world, the number three welterweight in the world. But he had lost to Matt Hughes twice. You can't, you know, and, and they were hard line, like, well, what are we going to do with this guy? We're paying him a, a decent amount in their view, um, and we're kind of out of matchups for him. Uh, he'd lost, you know, he would lose to... Um, other guys as well to George St. Pierre and so, so you you would see things like that basically top guys um, who and they've mostly been guys over the years obviously the women are new to the UFC um, the top guys who were coming off of a loss and you'd be like man they let them go after just one loss or things like that um, but what we what we really hadn't seen and fans can correct me here I'd lo- I know there's always outliers there's always exceptions but by my memory Mike it's never been a common thing it's always been a rare thing for top five, top ten guys in divisions who were on winning streaks for the UFC to let them go, for the UFC to let them test free agency. Let's remember this. The UFC hates to get uh, let uh, their fighters get to the point where they fight out their contract. 
the MO is to sign them to a new contract extension with when they have one fight left. So the fact that so many people have, first, that so many people have been fighting out their contract, that's interesting. And I think the UFC is trying to make a statement against that, saying don't try to test us with free agency. We'll, we'll lowball you afterwards. We're not that interested in you if you do that. I think that's a line that they're drawing. And I think after that, another line they're drawing is like, yeah, we're not interested. We're not most interested in keeping, making sure that most of the best fighters in each division are in the UFC. That was a big thing for the UFC for a long time, um, especially after uh, Pride had, before Zufa, had raided a lot of the top UFC stars, taking guys like Mark Kerr, Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, um, signing Boss Rutten to, to do other stuff. He never ended up fighting for Pride. Like, the UFC at one point, long time ago, got, got some of their biggest stars. Hoist Gracie got, got raided. Um, and when Zufa came over, you know, as best they could, they lost some top guys like Murillo Bustamante as well. But the best they could, they, w- they started building up. It was very important to their, uh, I think, to, their, to, to be seen as legitimate um, for athletic commissions, to be seen legitimate by fans. They really said, you know, we're going to build up the deepest divisions, as many of the deepest divisions as we can. And certainly once they bought Pride, once they um, bought the WC, once they bought Strike Force. Um, they they were able to lay claim to having most of the best fighters in each division. That was a very important thing for them to to have. Like I, I think in principle, and I think it helps them in business long term as well. You can you can develop stars, uh, more stars that way. That was very important to them. I don't think it's important to them anymore, Mike. I think these things like letting Ryan Bader go, who is the number one contender in the light heavyweight division after this fight. Literally, <laughs> um, in my view, I think he's won five out of six or something like that. He's won two straight. He's, he's a top guy there. Um, letting Lawrence Larkin, who I think is a top ten guy, who's also a, a proven winner, go to let other guys get close to signing with Bellator, like Aljamain Sterling, who at the time was a top five guy. I'm sure he's still top ten. Um, this is, and then there's other, there's some European fighters that they've let go or let go of the resign. This is a real sign from the UFC, in my view, Mike, that they're. It isn't a top priority to make sure that they keep most of the best fighters in each division in the UFC. I think it's interesting, especially when you look at it in the large in the context of they're closing down offices internationally. They're they're closing a lot. Um, they're, they're they're letting go a lot of the the back office people, the front office people. Um, a lot of production costs are are being um, cut as well. Um, the, and it's manifesting in like the the posters we see, the commercials we see. They're really, really downsizing. The new owners took on, I believe, around $2 billion uh, in, in, in debt. And I think they're really cutting costs. And it's a short strategy. They're like, hey, if you're not already a star that we're making millions off of, you're not that much of a priority. Maybe that's smart, but I don't think it serves you well, by the way, 10 years down the road. Because if, if you don't think you can promote Ryan Bader or Lorenz Larkin, who look like fucking action figures... He doesn't get more handsome or like more ripped or more exciting of fighters than those guys. If you can't market them uh, who are already like in the top five, top ten of the divisions, then who are you interested in? If you don't think you can promote those guys and make money off of them, you don't know how to promote. Um, so I think it's really interesting. I, this is either a new direction or a transition phase. If it's a new direction, they're going to find some, 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 some problems um, I think five, ten years from now, because um, they're gonna they're gonna let a lot of stars go or let a lot of future stars go. So it's it's an interesting shift because I, I I can't remember anything like this happening to the scale that it's happening before. Uh, 
you mentioned his uh, Bader's record. He's seven and seven out of eight. Oh wow! Going back to December of 2013, when he beat Anthony Parash at UFC Fight Night 33, mm. Hunt versus Bigfoot. Thanks. For uh, that. His one loss is to Anthony Johnson, uh, which was the January of 2016 mm. at UFC and Fox 18. A couple years ago now. Uh, well, oh, a, year a year and a couple yeah, months. Yeah, a year and a couple months. But I mean, he was on a five-fight win streak going into that, and he's won two since before leaving. Yeah. Well. Um, you know, the the thing that's interesting is that, like, in, in football, you have the franchise tag, mm-hmm. where, like, if your contract runs out, they can tag you so that you don't leave. That, that doesn't exist in the UFC, and there's mm-hmm. nothing they can do to force you to sign a contract before it ex- expires. Like, people are getting smarter yeah. about it, and they understand how the free market works, and they're taking advantage of it. Some have elected to resign. Some have elected to leave. Some value uh, the perceived notoriety that comes with that in the competition, and some value the sponsorship mm. uh, I think some fighters have gotten smarter about capitalizing on sponsorship without wearing it mm-hmm. where some um, still need to wear the sponsors yeah. does that make sense like the yep. ads and whatnot um, but it's interesting to see I mean if this continues to happen like that's gonna be uh, it's gonna be something if this is a trend that continues I mean they're gonna eventually be two people with semi-equal talent pools. The yeah. only difference might be is that the biggest of stars will still, of course, be in the UFC or mm-hmm. Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. Ronda Rousey, whoever um, be, but it's going to be really interesting that, you know, part of it's going to be who comes along and signs the up-and-coming guys that are going to be the stars. And the thing that's really interesting is, like, a guy like Jose Shorty Torres, he said that the UFC didn't want to sign him <coughs> after he won uh, the flyweight title mm-hmm. and defended the flyweight title at, in Titan. Um, that he fought Pedro Nobre and uh, who's a UFC vet if I remember correctly uh, that he was told that he beat him too uh, decisively that they wanted to see him um, they wanted to see him come back from adversity like could you imagine telling that to Mike Tyson being like hey man you're, you're knocking people out in 15 seconds like if you just could like yeah. let the guy get the upper hand and then win like, like that would be better for us go, or Ronda Rousey like everything uh, was remember she went on yeah. that run where she beat four people in like under two minutes yeah. or two minutes and six seconds or something? yeah that really hurt her marketability no I think <laughs> I mean like I get it that they want to see more from him to see what he's made of I guess but that's that's weird you're gonna pay him chump change anyway sorry shorty to like uh, you know I'm, the reality is they don't get paid well in the UFC until you're, you know, a champion. Even then, you're right. paid. So, like, you're gonna, you're gonna. That's so weird. What do you but think so he's like, gonna do? Collapse? But like, what if Bellator's like, you know what? Yeah. I like that guy. We don't have a flyweight division yet. Yeah, centered around this. Yeah, this is a guy who's about to fight for a second title. Yeah. Bantamweight. Like, they could have throw him in the bantamweight title. Uh, Lorenz Larkin, as we were talking about, um, he beat Neil Magny, who was on mm-hmm. like a, what he ten fight win streak or yeah. something at the time they fought, and he's still kicking butt. Neil Magny's beaten Kelvin Gastelum, Johnny Hendricks in the last few months. Yeah, and then he beat Jorge Masvidal, who's <laughs> in contention or his name's being thrown around for a welterweight title away, shot. One more win away from a title right, shot. He's about to fight Damian Maya. If he wins that, yeah. like he might be the next welterweight contender. And this Lorenz Larkin beat him in May. Beat Robbie Lawler years ago. Yeah, like yeah, we don't need that guy. Like what? It's so, uh, it's so weird. I mean, listen, man, the welterweight division is almost – the Bellator's welterweight division is almost on par with the UFC's right now. The light heavy division as well. Don't talk to me about John Jones. God bless his, his little heart. I don't know if John Jones is a fighter anymore. So we're looking at Daniel Cormier, who's better than everyone in the world, sure. But underneath him, light heavyweight, you know, outside of the top five, you just let – that guy go a few years ago. You let another guy in the top five go, and Phil Davis, like you're kind of getting drained here. Uh, 
who's the champion right now? I believe. Phil Davis and Bellator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, it will be. Uh, but if Bellator can ever sell tickets, because they can't sell five right now. They're going to prove me wrong. They'll be like, Scott well, Coker's going to be like, here's the, uh, seven. Here's receipts for the eight seats I sold in San Jose. <laughs> it's like they can't sell any tickets. They have a really good product. If they ever learn how to sell some tickets, uh, they, can, they can do some damage in this, in and, this And uh, I think market. that's been part of the issue is they rely on, they still kind of rely on the fighter selling tickets oh, it's so low, for the undercard it's so people. so low market. But it's so the weird. Other th- but they're also in low market um, places. They yeah. Yeah, do um, Windstar in uh, Oklahoma, which Hammond is, you know, here. like a... Um, hour and a half or so north of Dallas. They mm. do like the Mulvane Canada show, the San Jose, the Temecula's. Um, you I think would, that maybe is, that strategy is maybe hurting their ability to sell well, tickets? Yeah, like who's – who? like I lived in Dallas and I uh, went to school in Norman, so I drove past that Windstar all the time. Uh, like there's nothing there. Yeah. Like there's no population. So to get people yeah. in Dallas to go to Thackerville is, is a taller task than mm. to get them to go to the American Airlines Arena, mm. which is just down the street. And the other thing is, like, there's – if you – fine, you don't want to – American Airlines is a big venue. Like, the UFC doesn't sell out every no, arena they no, go to. They put no. curtains for fight night once to block off the upper deck, and they totally. just sell the lower bowl. Totally. Um, you know, if you don't want to do something like that, there's smaller venues. in. I mean, this is a city where the football stadiums for high schools that's are right. bigger than college stadiums. Yeah. And that's it costs millions point. of dollars. Like, there's basketball and arenas. And that's true that of every find. big city. There's right. smaller arenas or in every big city. A local university. Yeah. Like, Totally. It'll be interesting to see, uh, Mike, then, you know, March 31st, Bellator is coming, not to Chicago. They're coming to Rosemont, which is just outside of Chicago. Um, but it's in spirit, maybe closer than Hammond, Indiana, where they often go to this casino. Like, it'll be interesting. And, and big events happen there, like big stars go and do concerts. It'll be interesting. WrestleMania was sell. hosted there twice. No kidding. See, okay. So it's a big I mean, venue. this was like in the 80s or sure. 90s or something. But, but it was a, it's a big deal. Right, like the... See how they sell there. They just did... Um, Back-to-back nights of WWE shows at that Rosemont Arena. Oh, did they really? Raw, SmackDown, oh, Monday, that. Tuesday shows. So that would be um, a good indicator. How much can they sell for that with Rampage right. there? And, you know, there's a lot of marketing going on around town. Like, you see the billboards and whatnot. But they also announced that they're considering the pay-per-view model now. Mm. Or not considering. They're doing a pay-per-view show. Bellator 180 is going to be a pay-per-view. Uh, mm. It's going to be headlined by Chael Sonnen, Vanderlei Silva, if that fight ever <laughs> comes to fruition. Um, in, they've only done one other one, right? In New yeah. York. Uh, so it's going to be a pay-per-view. So now they're exploring that. Oh, the smaller so, garden or the, the, the theater in the, um, the garden? I want to say it's in Brooklyn, but I can't remember. Oh, in remember. Brooklyn. Okay, okay cool. Um, Interesting. That's quite so a Barclay that. Center. Because so, yeah. they've only done like one other pay-per-view ever, right? Um, you know, I don't remember. But, yeah. but that's part of the appeal of it is that it's like you can watch this for free yeah, on TV. Yeah, true. Now you've got somebody to pay for Sun and Silva. Now, that's a fight that <sighs> kind of tugs at the heartstrings of MMA fans because yeah. we wanted to see it, especially if you – watched that uh when they coached against each other on the brazilian ultimate yeah, fighter yeah. which i did and struggled through the uh <laughs> uh subtitles it. to watch it it was worth it just because they you know they advertised the fight yeah uh that happened and they keep showing you know they would keep teasing that until like the next episode but you know that those are two guys who don't like each other yeah so there's a lot i mean do you think back i mean years interviews of yeah son and some of his most notable quotes are directed at Anderson's or yeah. Vanderlei Silva yeah, yeah, yeah. and Anderson Silva, yeah, but Vanderlei in this generally. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, that'll be interesting to see what kind For of response sure. that gets. That really will be. Yeah. See if they can break a hundred thousand on that. That'll be very interesting. Um, yeah. You know, it's such a tough, I don't, I'm not in this uh, business, so it's tough, but like 
there you have a little bit of a task, even with two big stars like Vandalay and Chael who have been inactive in recent years, you have a little bit of a task when you don't have fight footage of theirs at your disposal. Other than Chael Sonnen losing very quickly to Tito Ortiz, right? Like you, you have a storytelling challenge. So it'll be interesting to see how good their storytelling is uh, in their promos and stuff because they certainly have big stars. And those are big, big stars. And, and, and the big stars in Bellator, the older guys have been able to draw good ratings. It'll be very interesting to see if they can do decent pay-per-views. The key is will they be able to innovate and make their show different enough from mm-hmm. the UFC to make it appealing? They, mm-hmm. they have like one little wrinkle that's a little bit different like on their clock in the bottom corner. It's got like a tick down thing. So you mean like the production? Right, the production yeah. value of it. And you know like they have the red and blue gloves which makes it more identifiable whereas like the that's UFC true. does just the tape. Yeah. Which if you know, I mean some people may never notice that but I know others do. Um, my fiance in particular, she really hates when a fighter's wearing blue but has red tape or is wearing red with blue tape. It's confusing. And fighters one, worry about this too, by the way. Well, there's one fight where she wore it, where she was watching with me. It was a fighter in red with mm. blue tape versus a fighter in blue with red tape. So then the icons would show the corner color or the tape color, but they were wearing the opposite color. And she was confused. And you know what? Fighters worry. This is a little inside baseball stuff. That's good you mentioned. Chrissy gets confused about that because – Judges do, or at least fighters worry a lot that judges get confused by this. In fact, some fighters I've had like you know conversations where they are sure like its decision went a certain way because of that. So they they they're really like worried about what color they're wearing Be for like, that. I'm in the red corner, and you want me to wear blue? Yeah, no, 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 no. Exactly. I'm wearing red. That guy can wear white or something. That's how but, that happens. Uh, the other thing, while we're talking about the production value, the thing World Series of Fighting, they had a show this weekend. World Series of 35, uh, three title fights. At the Turning Stone, something or another in New York, um, the vacated bantamweight title for Marlon Morris, who's coming to the UFC. Then mm-hmm. they had Lance Palmer uh, defend his belt against Andre Harrison, and who's fifteen and 0, mm-hmm. 16 and zero now. Uh, beat Lance Palmer to become the title. And then in the main event, it was Blagoy uh, Ivanov fighting Sean Jordan, UFC veteran for the heavyweight title. Knocked him out in under two minutes. Um, but they've added new wrinkles for mm-hmm. through their bod- broadcast to yeah. try and um, compete and. You know, it's com- competing indirectly. I don't think that's the sole uh, motivator, but it's definitely a motivator. I think they're just trying to make it a better product to consume for mm-hmm. people watching. But those things will help them stand out. So one of which was they unveiled. I don't know if you watched, but uh, one of which was I saw your post about it. The referee cam, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, you know, they, there was a lot of decisions on that card, so you didn't get to see a whole lot of it. Did they cut to that like live on television? Uh, I believe so. Oh, jeez. I believe so. Like they cut to it right when it, it when he went in to stop. Um, so give someone a seizure. Uh, yeah, and it which is interesting, um, and it definitely had a new wrinkle, and there was a lot of positive response on huh. social media. People loved it. Uh, I think for the technical side of things, it can add an interesting wrinkle because. Um, it could add, it's like the pylon camera in the NFL when they're trying to see if the ball mm-hmm, extended mm-hmm, across the goal line. Mm-hmm. This is like, why did the fight get stopped? If it's controversial, like you can see what the referee saw. Yeah. Uh, so the applications of that could be tremendous. But they've also done other things. They changed the way they walk out. Bellator already has this, like great production value in that in that regard. But uh, they also trade playing with some minor things like the sound, having mm. it tapped into each corner. So like you got mm. more of that. That's cool. So, I like I like that type of stuff. You know. If Bellator does that and can kind of embrace trying to do things their way, which they have for the most extent with their walkouts and everything, yeah. they can kind of craft their own unique thing yeah, and maybe make headway without the Conor McGregor's. Mm-hmm. You know? What what if they just need more people with hoods entering the, the ring? I mean, there's promos with Stefan Bonnie. Like hoodies? <laughs> oh, that hood. I thought you meant like hoodies. No, full mask. I was like, 
hoodies and beanies. That's a weird, given. <laughs> weird, weird plot lines. More. No, no, I'm joking. I, I like that refs. And th- I'm not trying to be this, this guy. I don't know. It takes the fun out of it. If refs are being given a job by the promoter because refs don't work for the promoter, those refs at the very least need to get compensated extra for that shit. If I'm wearing this, I've got to have this hunk of thing around. It's a weird line to be crossing. It's a cool one. Probably used to do that, and you'd see it on replays. They would, they would cut to it, not live, yeah. but like in replay, and it was kind of cool. I like it. I like it. But it's an interesting a mixing of, of things at, there. <laughs> at first, I was like thinking it'd be a uh, GoPro like strapped to the head like you see if you ever go to a music festival you see people with GoPro strapped to their head their chest like everything the cool people at music festivals wear those right the less cool people yeah (laughs) the less cool people have their phones out like who's ever gonna watch you walk like are you gonna go back and watch you walking around Lollapalooza but anyways it was a Google Glass like device it was really kind of subtle that's cool um yeah, I talked to Carlos Silva, the World Series of Fighting CEO, about it, and he said that uh, they worked with the referees uh, in a couple of days prior to make sure everything was like comfortable and whatnot. But uh, he promised, like, he's like, this is a big initiative of what we're doing at World Series of Fighting. We're trying to um, find new ways to make the broadcast unique, and he compared it a lot to the yellow line on football broadcasts. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that helped educate people, and that showed people where they needed to get to, and that changed the way that people were able to view the the sport and consume it and make it easier to consume and more popular and uh by giving you this information he's like that's what we're looking like we're trying to find the yellow line of mma mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. uh and i asked him if he felt like he found it he's like i think we have it uh he's like you know over the course of the year they're gonna un- reveal a couple new technologies or wrinkles mm-hmm, or whatever mm-hmm. for every yeah, show but um yeah so that'll be interesting to watch and if bellator does something like that they get more of these people coming over in their prime then mm-hmm. you know we're we're looking at somebody who could seriously contend with uh, the UFC for. That's a good point. The landscape might change again. Yeah. More competition. Very. Interesting. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, it's it's not. It's 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 not, and not for labor at least. Not for the fighters. Not for labor, <laughs> but also for you know the consumer. Mm. Um, more quality. You know, no more matchups people want to see. You know, uh, better viewing product for the viewers. Sure, sure. All that kind sure. of. Sure. No, you're right. You're right. You want me to give. Uh, I saw that we, we kind of steamrolled through. Do you want me to give Robin a call, see if we can get him on the line? We can give Robin a call. Uh, I always worry that we're going to be, uh, we're going to talk or never have anything to talk about, but it seems like once we just start talking MMA, things <laughs> yeah. just kind of go off the way. We, we, we kind of like this stuff. So. As he tries to get Robin on the phone, <laughs> I'll entertain you folks at home. We uh, sometimes try to uh, come up with segments to talk about, and sometimes we get uh, – worked up about a topic and we just kind of go but some, i'm telling you there's more cohesive thoughts sometimes that we we just don't ever get to um because the discussion's going a way that we're enjoying so you're welcome because we like this stuff we hope you like it too <laughs> it's fun to get going and uh again i said this earlier in the show but if you weren't turning in right at the beginning we did an interview with titan fc flyweight champion jose uh, shorty torres uh yesterday We've uploaded the audio. It's already up to I, in iTunes, TuneIn, Google mm-hmm. Play, Stitcher, all those podcast places. But we have also uh, we're uploading the video to the website, fansided.com, right now. It's awesome. It's so good. It was so fun. I wish I could have been part of it, man. Yeah, it awesome. he's uh, fighting for the bantamweight title in May. Uh, could be UFC fighter. I mean, undefeated professional record, 25 and, 0, 25 and 1 as an amateur. He's on a 29-fight win streak. <laughs> like, think about that. 29 fight win yeah. streak. He's a next-generation type dude. Yeah, you know, local Chicago guy. We talked about uh, his humble upbringings in Chicago on the south side. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast and check that out on iTunes. That's a lot of fun. 
All right, let's try. I'm dialing Robin Black right now. See if he's available while we're in Toronto. Mr. Robin Black, it's Elias. I'm here with uh, Mike Dice. You're live, my friend. Thanks for being on the X Rounds podcast. Hey, no problem, man. Good hanging with you guys. Absolutely, man. We're uh, so stoked. And, and last week's episode, we kind of teased. Uh, we didn't reveal that you were going to be on the show. We kind of teased uh, that we had someone we were super, super stoked to be talking to. And then we put it out on Twitter. Uh, we know our listeners are just as excited to to hear from you, man. Um I, uh, I I feel like, you know, and you and I have talked off, off the air about this, but I really, really, really feel strongly that this is, at least for me as a fan of your work, Robin, this is the most exciting part of your analyst, your, your fight analyst career so far. You have so many podcasts going on right now. I'm looking at the numbers of your your, your YouTube subscribers are just spiking in the last week. It's just crazy how much new cool stuff you're doing we all know you for the for for the breakdowns you're you're interviewing more people you're going into the fight psychology um you're still doing breakdowns and previews i mean you just you're doing so much type of uh, so much new content uh do you feel like do you feel extra amped right now or is that just something that me as a fan is feeling yeah i know something weird is going on for sure um you know today is day eight of my youtube channel to be honest, it didn't exist nine days yeah. ago. I was working at Fight Network 15 days ago. I got a phone call that they were shutting down production. I was with my wife for uh, in San Diego, so I was away from the ability to do my work, and she travels for, for work. She's in a musical. So I came home. I was supposed to be back. At, I would have been back at Fight Network on the Monday, and on Tuesday I made a YouTube channel, put it up, shot two pieces of content, and now six or seven days later we have... 10 different things that we've done, but it's been fascinating. Hmm. Like, it, you know, I'm so happy. I feel so pleased with my reaction to the situation. Like, I could have just turtled up and waited for the ref to stop it. You <laughs> know what I mean? And instead, I stood up and started playing. And uh, I feel really excited. And I'm, I'm working with a couple of guys, an old friend, Aaron, that used to play in my band, who's like a creative guy with graphics and, and digital stuff and and shooting and ideas and music and art. And another guy, a friend of his, that's a friend now, Morgan Carlson, who's also a musician and an artist. And then uh, my guy, Mark, who is my podcaster. And we literally just immersed ourselves in this art gallery around tattoo artists and musicians and fine artists and a hairdresser and a bunch of yoga instructors and all these and kind of started to look at fighting through this kind of creative artistic lens where there are no rules and it's been wild i've never sort of had so much kind of creativity going on not since i was in a band 10 years ago it really has been That's a fascinating awesome. and exciting and really cool and liberating week what i think is kind of really cool about uh your podcast now this is mike by the way the with your podcast is that hey, mike. You're not doing like the same kind of episode. It's like you have different series, like with different um, episodes going on among, in like one channel. Like you have um, this this kind of show that you're doing and this kind of show that you're doing. Like you're really diversifying everything. Yeah, it's so like I was terrified. I, I loved my job. <laughs> it was very consistent. It was stable. And what it did for me, you know, as recently as two weeks ago, was these guys said, come into this place 
and just obsess about fighting, which is what I love to do. Just immerse yourself. I didn't have to think about anything other than analyzing fighting, the world of fighting, the philosophy related to fighting, the physical stuff. And I did love that. Um, but it also was so hyper-specialized that suddenly when we were just sitting in first in my corner and now in the, this art gallery we're working in, I suddenly realized there's no structure. Like, I don't need any kind of structure. If people And people seem to respond really well to it. We'll talk about how fighting relates to to music. We'll talk about how philosophy relates to fighting. And this with that, I have a million new questions. I still want to do my breakdowns. I love doing them. I need a bit of technology to be able to do them. But in the meantime, we're just being, I feel like I'm in a garage band, <laughs> only we deal with fighting instead of music. And a garage band that already has a, a gigantic fan base too. Like, which I, I, I think you're probably, you're probably seeing this now and you don't have to, you're probably too humble to comment on this, but um, you know, you had the Fight Network as a Canadian uh, you know, outlet, uh, obviously. Um, but your audience, Robin, for years has been much, much wider than that. And that's not a, that's not a rip on Canada. It's just you're, you have an international following. I mean, you're, you're huge here in America, which is cool. And um, I, I will, I, I want to get into this little, it's a question eventually, and it, it's first with a little story um, about how I think, I think the first time uh, you and I actually met, Robin, but I want to say this first. Selfishly, I am very happy that you're no longer working with the Fight Network, who I think for many years is a fine, fine network, because my most significant experience with the Fight Network was having a horrible loss of mine uh, broadcast all over Canada uh, <laughs> through the Fight Network. It's by far the fight of mine. I have a horrible, I have a, you know, a shitty amateur career. It's by far the most viewed fight of my little career. And I still, I get all sorts of supportive, nice people like, hey, I saw your fight. I'm like, oh yeah, where? I got on the fight network. I'm like, ah, oh, son of a bitch. I lost like in 45 seconds. So, <laughs> so, <I'm, laughs> so if they're, if they're stick, if they're going away from original programming and sticking to, to old reruns like that of Elias Cepeda getting his ass kicked, uh, <laughs> I'm happy you're not associated there, but I wanted to, I, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about uh, the first time I met uh, Robin, uh, Mike, I forget, I think it was probably 2015. I was at, uh, I don't know, you, you might have been anything bad, I'm not sure, but we were at uh, Open Workouts. I think, I forget, it was in Vegas, Robin, but uh, I yeah. remember I was looking around and I was watching the, you know, I, I, you know, Open Workouts are Open Workouts, right? And unless you're, I feel, unless you're looking for some type of expression to, to let you know what a fighter's mood might be like, uh, you know, what their weight cut might be looking like, you know, you, you, you're looking for just the way they move and you're just trying to observe movement and, it, and it's kind of fun. And I looked around, and I saw one other person amongst a sea of laptops, notepad, like uh, digital notepads, cameras, which are wonderful, and video cameras and all that. I saw only one other person that had uh, a pen uh, or a pencil and a pad of paper. And that was Robin Black. I was like, I knew who he was, but I didn't, I didn't met him. I'm like, all right. This guy's all right with me because you were sitting there fastidiously yeah. taking notes, observing movement, and then grabbing coaches, uh, you know, all this type of stuff that we like to do, grabbing coaches off to the side, chatting with them. And, and you know, you just have this, this real fascination, like you said, obsessed, you know, with, with obsessing over technique. Um, and that leads me to this question. When you decided, Robin, that you wanted to make your professional career uh, about MMA, you didn't say, okay, I'm going to go straight just into like commentary and leverage, you know, my notoriety from a different field and just do commentary, just do interviews. 
you trained and then you fought. Do you think that experience as a person who spent years and years and still does train and then years and years fighting is why you're so, let's not even go into how that makes you uniquely qualified to talk about fighting because it does, but let's just talk about how it makes you uniquely fascinated. Is that, is that really the root of why you're able to do so much work on the, on the technique portion because you're a fighter? Yeah, I, that's part of it, I think, for sure. Um, but it, it, fighting changed my life. It changed the way that I looked at the world. It changed, like having, it, it, you have goals, you have dates, you have things that you have to achieve, you have weights that you need to make, you have improvements that have to be accomplished on a schedule of time. I fought for, I guess, maybe almost four years. I fought nine times. The first fight I had was 10 days before my 39th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do it. I know I realized that first I thought this is something I desperately want to do And uh, if I go in there and fight maybe you know that will be helpful But but even before I had my first fight I knew no matter what happened I was going to live that life for a few years and really immerse myself in it I think that you can analyze things on a fairly good level without fighting But I think there's a lot of truth you can never really understand and you see it when you see somebody and, you know, people will talk about sparring. Oh, well, I spar or whatever. It's not the same. It'll never be the same. You can never truly understand it. And even you don't understand what you don't understand <laughs> until you get in there. And then when you do do it, I find it so curious and so strange and so beautiful and so unique. And you're so incredibly alive, as you know, when you're in there in your underwear and thousands of people are watching you you know really put yourself out like that you're so alive that i just really want to find the right words to describe it and after eight years i still haven't found them so i'm studying technique i'm studying growth i'm studying the sort of the things that you learn by striving and how they apply to other things i'm studying all those but i continue to study language and try to understand language because we don't yet in the English language, we don't have the words to describe what fighting is. And I've tried fucking thousands of <laughs> words. And I've tried them in thousands of combinations. And I've tried them enthusiastically. I've tried them through art. I've tried them through music. I've tried them through sport and physics and physiology. And I still can't quite describe it. And I think that desire to have people really understand that this is the pinnacle of human achievement and expression, that I don't think I'll ever achieve the, the being able to describe it the way that I want. And I think that drives me to keep going uh, uh, further and going forward. This is the most... I saw something that Rogan did uh, with Julie Kedzie, just a little clip of it, and he was talking about uh, uh, a fight from last week, Darren Elkins. Mm-hmm. And Joe just about broke down crying, and I know exactly how he feels. There was something so unbelievably uniquely special about these moments. And I feel like media, the, the media that we have that covers it, does a piss-poor job mm. of getting that across. And I see it as one of my purposes in life is to tell that story properly. I love it, man. Uh, we, uh, let's talk about UFC 210. Uh, I've, I was watching your guys' preview on your channel, Robin. We're here with Robin Black. Um, if you haven't already, you got to subscribe to his new YouTube channel. He's got just uh, an explosion of quality content and new programs there right now uh, and, and lots more coming. And he has a great, pre, um, a great him and his uh, partner have a great preview of uh, UFC 210's main event, a rematch, light heavyweight title on the line, Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Rebel Johnson. 
Robin, I want I want to get your take. We want to get your take on this, like on the fight. And you know, it, it, you could phrase it any way you want. Me and Mike were thinking, you know, we were watching your your preview, and and it seems like, although you don't have a a solid answer because it's a hard fight to predict, right? You do have some things that you think are really important questions um, that, depending on how they're answered, will will kind of determine uh, the result of it. You know, I know there's there's things like. You know, age differences, improvements of, of this fighter or that fighter. Like, what what do you think this fight is really going to come down to? What are some of the key questions of DC versus Rumble too? Yeah, uh, it, it, I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm going to Buffalo for it. I nice. think I'm going to contribute a couple things for UFC.com there, which Hell is yeah. really fun to do. Yeah, um, but uh, a couple of things. I, I never make fight picks anymore. Uh, they don't make sense to me mm-hmm. because the deeper you look, you get more questions. And I think sharing those questions and pointing people to them, that's what I like to do. Um, I publicly say that the more that I study, the less certain I am. And I believe that. And maybe that will shift as I start to uh, look deeper in the years and beyond. But right now, uh, on my YouTube, it's something I'm going to start in the next couple of weeks. I have a dog, a chihuahua, his name is Pluto. He's old and he's crusty and he's missing most of his teeth and he no. smells bad. And I'm going to do Pluto's picks. Yeah. I'm literally going to have my dog <laughs> randomly pick. And I, and I suspect he's going to do about as well as most <laughs> educated people out here, which is going to be really fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think at this level, realistically, um, at today, it comes down to performance. And I think DC's only loss to John Jones, his ability to perform, mm. particularly in rounds four and five, mm. cost him the fight. The ability to to ask more of himself. He could have won that fight. And then uh, AJ against Dan, he the ability to ask enough of himself and not sort of you know feel succumb to momentum when he when something went wrong, that lost him the fight. And so how did he learn from that? I mean, because that, the, the basics are, are pretty evident. You know, um, Cormier has phenomenal wrestling and top control, and he's heavy when he's on you. Um, and but we think that he can just automatically take AJ down because he did. But, but uh, Anthony stopped Phil Davis repeatedly, who's a yeah. lead guy. He, Anthony moves his feet when he's confident. If he stops that first takedown, he's on his way to winning that fight. Mm. But Cormier on the feet is really, really interesting, too. He throws this left hand after his power right stepping that closes distance in a really, in really fascinating way because you move away from him because you're fearing that he's going to go to your hips. Yeah. And he steps into that space with this left hook on the end of it. And I, I know that Anthony Johnson has spotted that, and I know some of his coaches, and I know that's something they've seen. But seeing it and then dealing with the speed of that is very different. So I, I think you got to really watch out for Daniel Cormier's left stepping left hook on the end of a three-punch, stepping three-punch combination. It's really tough to deal with. It's almost like it's an add-on yeah. to the old day of the overhand right to the double leg. You know, the old Chuck yep. Liddell era. Uh, that used to be the first punch exactly. wrestlers would learn, yeah, for that reason, to set up their yeah, takedown. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and if your hands came up, they went down, and if your hands didn't come up, they punched you. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and fighting is just many more layers of some of those same principles. But really, it's, it's, if AJ comes in there with the true belief in his skin and his blood that he's going to win that fight, I think he can win that fight. I think he absolutely 
absolutely can. He can, uh, but he has to have that because Dan has that every single fight. Like hmm. we did see little tiny cracks in humanity in Dan, you know, in rounds four and five against John Jones. So it'll be tough to say, man. But the days I'm really starting to get away from. In I, I feel like we've we've accepted certain things as true that are no longer true in the way that we talk about fighting. We really compartmentalize it. You know, we used to say this guy's striking is better than this guy, but mm. this guy's wrestling is better than that guy. We're still doing that. We've just added more categories. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. his takedown defense is better than his, but his his offensive wrestling is better. And this guy's got better range management, but this guy has good volume. Just, it's not Dungeons and Dragons. You know what I mean? We can't, <laughs> these are humans, ever-changing mm-hmm. human beings who perform differently in different moments, depending on where they are. And so I really, truly believe it, it, in, a, in a case like this, with guys like this who know each other on that level, it comes down to who is better in the moment itself. And when the answer is they're both in the 99th percentile of their ability to express combat in that moment, you get something like Rory McDonald versus Robbie Lawler. That's when you get that elite level of, of performance. That's what happens. Neither man able to, to influence the other's thinking at all. Uh, you have to break one physically. And if we get that fight with these two, we'll see one of the greatest fights we've ever seen. When you're watching uh, a, you know, fighters to do one of these previews and breakdowns, how much video do you watch to to notice these things, and how many times do you have to watch it over? You know what? One of the ones that sticks out is when you broke down uh, the choke that um, allowed Nate Diaz to beat Conor McGregor at UFC 196, and you talk about how he punched to free the chin. Like, how many times do you watch it through to find these little details? Like, do you have to watch it four times? Um, I see them. I feel them. Uh, there's something... I mean, part of why I sound so evangelical about fighting is somewhere in the process of of studying martial arts, I, I kind of changed the way I experienced the fight, if that makes sense. Uh, so in the moment, I, I, I see most of the stuff, you know, I see it. I don't know, it's very hard to explain, um, but I watched a show on, on super tasters and people who, you know, are able <laughs> to, their abilities to taste are, are developed. And there's similarities to that kind of thing. I don't know, it's hard to explain. But then on some of the, the, the breakdowns where I break down the video footage and I choose moment by moment to tell the story and then flow it and, and do it in front of the TV and those, in most of those, I'll kind of watch everything. Um, and when I see patterns kind of develop, I may watch things a third and a fourth and a fifth time. I might watch them in slow motion. I'll watch them with sound off. I'll watch them with music on. Just trying to get to peel back the layers of it. There's so much going on, and there's so much there that I, it, it's become strangely like I'm finding another gear on how to 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 peel back these layers because I used to be hyper decisive about it. Okay, this mm. means this, and I want to express that. Now I've become way more open-ended with it. What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel? What's the texture? All of those kinds of things. So it goes through different flows. And then sometimes you get into a, you know, I'm training most every day now. So you get into doing things with your own body to try to understand what you're seeing so it becomes physical. It's just the greatest experience. I don't know. Even talking about it, I feel excited. You know, (laughs) this is the most special thing in the world that two you know, people have trained a lifetime to come together in an unpredictable moment that we get to see. And it really, I, I feel that we don't, as a group, do a very good job 
uh, describing it. We were in a hurry. We're on to what are they mm-hmm. fighting? Who's fighting next? And what is we were talking about all these weird mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You know, the rankings is a mechanism. It's not a real thing. It's 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 a mechanism. Even the belt itself is some mechanism there to sell something. The fight between the artists is the thing, and and that's what I hyper focused on but i don't think i answered your question very well no you did i'm just doing it all all day all the time you know yeah you answered it i would never have thought to turn off the sound and watch a fight with Mm. music playing like i I like to work with music playing on in the background but i've never thought to like do that while watching video of a fight that's pretty cool it's it's and it changes you know if you put on metal it's a very different experience. I really like my my soundtrack for fighting is classical music. There's just something about it. There's an intensity to it, and it's not you know different songs and different eras. But you can put punk rock on. Country music only works when Dan Henderson is fighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it really changes it. Even how you light it, and and hmm. when a fight, watching fights alone for me is very different than with a group of people. Yeah. I, I you know with a group of people, I tend to find that I want to kind of commentate. So I'm I'm hmm. saying things out. My friends seem to enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> at least they keep coming over and drinking tequila when I do it. But uh, I just want to describe it, which is why, yeah. you know, ultimately my goal is to commentate the UFC on some level. If I'm on Fight Pass in Macau doing it, I'm happy. But I'm getting some commentary gigs too. I'm doing TKO yeah, 38, um, April 7th on Fight Pass. And, and ACB in Russia is flying me out in the week later to talk to them about doing some commentary. And, so I'm getting to that. KSW has had conversations about me commentating mm. for them. So, you know, I'm getting to do that. That's that ultimately is the next layer is in real time. Take the description, do justice to what's happening and find the right way to be able to balance enthusiasm, the art form, the sport, the, the audience's awareness, teach them without them knowing it and feeling like you're mm-hmm. teaching them. That's ultimately the next layer. And even beyond that, I feel like I can do these breakdowns in real time with a with a a button to press mm-hmm. to talk back to the producer to pull together something that I can break down between rounds and between fights and I know that's accomplishable. I'm talking to ACB about doing it uh, as well, so uh, I know that's the next step is to be able to in the moments themselves uh, break it down in ways that the audience would find interesting and fun. It seems like World Series of Fighting, they juggled a lot of uh, play-by-play and, and you know commentators during the show. That There might be an opportunity for you there. But one of my favorite Robin Black moments is uh, I was at a UFC fight. I think it was one of the fights leading up to UFC 194, the Conor McGregor-Jose Aldo fight. And you were sitting uh, in the media room backstage watching it with Richard Hunter. And I was at the table behind you uh, doing the media scrums after the fights and uploading the video and running back and forth. But when I was at the computer have one earbud in listening to the sound and the other listening to you and Richard Hunter talk <laughs> about the fights. And it was fascinating. I know you can do it in real time because I've, yeah. I've watched a fight that way before <laughs> and it was, uh, it was really incredible. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like no matter what, I just feel lucky that I, you know, the thing that I love to do I'm doing all day, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do something all day, all the time, and you're eternally curious, it's going to go further. And you're going to uh, become even more curious, and you're going to find answers that will raise new questions. And, and that's what I'm doing. And, and, you know, the last eight days, 
I've been trying to document that and and take it somewhere and stuff. And it has been really, really fun. I'm blown away uh, by how many people have been supportive and sharing the stuff and and giving me feedback and stuff. I feel like I'm in a a pretty cool moment of change. I don't know exactly where I'm going to be in a month, but some pretty cool things are happening. It's good talking to you guys about it. Man, it's been awesome having you on, Robin. I know we kept you on longer than we said we would, but it was a lot of fun. And you're not far. You're not far from us, man. We got to get you in studio sometime in Chicago. I know I'm definitely gotta. I'm gonna get my ass over to Toronto one of these days. We'll have to get some training in and break down some fights together, brother. Yeah, man, and and come. Uh, I don't know if we'll be in a studio by then, but come on and and chat with me too. Uh, but hey, I love Chicago, man. If you got a couch, I'll come down for a weekend just for the hell of it. We we got a, we got an extra bedroom. Yeah, what do you got Mike. I got a guest, I got a guest bedroom. <laughs> yeah, too. You're, we you're we covered. We got two guest bedrooms, man. Between our households, brother, we'll make it happen for sure. Okay. <laughs> and and thanks for all the kind words, guys. Like it really means a lot to me. I really appreciate it's all true, man. We're so excited for everything you're doing right now, the guys. We've been on with Robin Black. You gotta check him out at his new YouTube channel. Robin, where can they find you on social media? Uh, on Twitter at Robin Black MMA, and on Facebook at the Robin Black. And I put all our um, our YouTube stuff up there. You don't even get to have your own YouTube name for 30 days and we're only eight days in i got like 4500 subscribers or something it's wild it's been crazy that's so awesome man it's so well deserved too man people are hungry for what you got to offer brother and we're excited for you and we'd love to have you on again soon my friend i can't wait i cannot wait and get the guest bedrooms ready i'm gonna do one night at each of you yeah boy <laughs> it's on it's on awesome rival well thanks brother we'll let you go thanks guys keep up the good work enjoy the hostilities my friend thank you sir you too well, that was a lot of fun, man. Best, the, the the catchphrase or line in media is like a thing, but not necessarily in MMA media so much. Yeah, the, and like enjoy the hostilities. It's just like <laughs> the so best good. one. I yeah, love it. It's so, and he really does enjoy it. Uh, and you get two things with this guy. You get you you get you get a sincere enthusiasm that's based in appreciation, not of being an access journalist and being a sycophant, and you also get real, informed, technical analysis. And that's pretty damn valuable. That I love one, that about that guy. That one fight when I was watching, uh, listening to him talk was just, it was fascinating to see. Because like, you see a fight, like I watch a fight and I see certain things, or there's certain things that I notice. But like somebody else, to get somebody else's perspective. And he's, uh, he's you know, he, he never breaks focus and he's mm -hmm. uh, breaking it down and pointing out all sorts of things. It, I mean, it was super interesting. I'd love to see him kind of get into that role. And, oh, you uh, do great. I've watched some fights with him in the room too. Yeah. I've got like left from the, the ringside to come up and watch a few. It's it's a lot of fun. He's got a, he's got a great way of breaking stuff down. He can definitely do it in real time. Well, that wraps up our show for the day. It was a it was a good one. We had Robin Black uh, joining us. He does his breakdowns. He has his new uh, YouTube channel where he's doing his own podcast. And there's like four podcasts within his podcast. He has like so all cool. these different kind of segments. Uh, make sure to check that out and subscribe on on YouTube. Um, and also make sure to look out for. Uh, the Jose Shorty Torres that we uploaded from a uh, video or interview that we did yesterday. The audio is already uploaded to iTunes and Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, all the podcast apps. Uh, the video is going to be posted to Fansided soon and hopefully on the social media accounts, Facebook uh, page as well. Um, so make sure to take that out. We also have uh, interviews with the fighters of Bellator 175 coming uh, at the end of this week. And uh, we have Boss Rutten tomorrow. 
We don't normally do shows on Thursdays. Uh, normally, we only do it on Wednesdays, but we're going to be back tomorrow. I believe it's like 1 o'clock Central uh, is when we're going to do it. So an hour earlier than we usually do on Wednesday. But we're going to talk about his new show that he's doing with Champions. It's uh, really wild. I don't know if you guys have been able to see the first episode, but make sure to tune in tomorrow for that as well. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>